0: Good afternoon. I'm Rhonda Feynman, and this is Healthy Options on WERU Community Radio. Today, we're looking at, or I really should say hearing about, an issue which is near and dear to our ears. Yes, actually, it is about hearing and hearing loss and how to protect our hearing, a topic which is you may be realizing, is more and more in the news each day. And our guest today is Kate Weiss, an audiologist in Minnesota currently working as an independent consultant after a 40-year career spent mostly in pediatrics. Kate has worked for many years at children's hospitals and clinics of Minnesota and in the Minneapolis Public Schools home-based birth to three program. Also, she worked with early childhood special education, pre- school programs and with deaf and hard of hearing students and their families and teachers in elementary, middle, and high schools. Early in her career, she spent several years working with both children and adults of all ages at St. Paul Rehabilitation Center. Kate was co-chair of the task force that developed protocols for universal amplification fitting and parental advocacy for the state of Minnesota's early hearing detection and intervention program. Welcome to Healthy Options. Kate Weiss, I'm so happy that you can be here with us today. So,
1: yes, where to begin? At the beginning, Kate. Uh, Yeah, let's begin at the beginning. So it was actually a task force to set up protocols for universal newborn hearing screening, which is the very beginning, which is hearing screening that's done on newborn babies. And when they don't pass the hearing screen, they go to an audiologist to have a complete assessment. And our goal is now it's standard all over the United States and in many other countries as well to identify children with hearing loss by the time they're three months old. And have them fit with hearing aids and in uh, educational programs and parent education programs by the time they're six months old. Wow. Yeah. How, how do you test an infant? Well, <laughs> obviously they don't raise their hand when they hear the sound. So um, a newborn infant, we are doing um, physiological measures. One is called otoacoustic emissions, where we send a sound into the ear. And there's a very sensitive microphone that picks up little sounds the ear itself actually makes as the little hair cells in the inner ear vibrate and move in response to the sound. So that's how we see if they're, you know, that's the screening, basically. And if they don't pass that, then for the more in-depth assessment, we are actually measuring brain waves in response to... Sounds that are coming in at different pitches and um, different loudness levels to actually see where their hearing thresholds are.
0: So, what we're really doing when we're hearing is really using our brains, aren't we? We are.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about that? Just like all of our other senses, the message goes to our brains. So, yeah, explain a little bit. I, you
0: know, I think we just, for many of us, we take our hearing for granted if we're lucky enough to take our hearing for granted, what? how does it work? How do our ears work? And how does that connect to, uh, to the brain so we know we're hearing
1: and understanding? Well, you want basically a little anatomy, physiology description Absolutely. of how hearing happens? Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, So the part of the ear you can hear, you can see the outer ear actually acts kind of like a funnel. And you know how when people are having trouble hearing, they tend to put their hand around their ear and cup their ear. And that actually does help bring the sound in. And it goes through the ear canal, which is where we have wax, which actually prevents bugs from getting in further into our ear. (laughs) It does have a purpose. Yeah. And then it reaches the eardrum and it vibrates in response to the sound. There's three little bones in a chain behind the eardrum and they move with the vibration Mm -hmm. of the sound. And the last bone in that chain is sitting on uh, the inner ear, which is filled with fluid and little hair cells that move in response to the sound. So as that last bone in the chain moves and presses in and out on that fluid and the little hair cells move. The roots of those hair cells are connected to the auditory nerve. And so then the message is going from those hair cells in the inner ear up through the auditory nerve into the brain. And this nerve that goes up to the brain has two parts. One part is for hearing and the other part is for balance. So often you do hear about the interconnection between balance and hearing, and that is a true physiological thing that's going on.
0: So is that why um, people sometimes, when they have audio, audiological issues, are off, they're, they're kind of falling over a little. Can you get dizzy from that as well, or is that a different part of the brain? For
1: Yeah, well, actually, it's a different part of the ear. There's the hearing part of the ear, and then there's three semicircular canals filled with crystals, actually, and fluid. That move, as you move, as you change your position in space, everything is moving in those uh, semicircular canals, which connect to the balance part of that nerve we were just talking about. So I forget exactly what your question was but
0: <laughs> I, <that laughs> i'm hoping has, i'm answering it no you are that has nothing to do with hearing i don't think yes i think you no, no you're, this is this is good i i always like to give our listeners a kind of a sense of of uh of where we are and when we think about hearing often we only think of the problems you know or someone talking right. and we'll get we'll get to the problems, but i I also like to, to get that sense of when things are working right, this is that how we're all connected um, really. Right. And so what's happening in our ears and in and what is it that little bone that kind of looks like a snail, isn't it? I'm, I'm remembering my anatomy.
1: Yeah. Um, the part that looks like a snail, that's actually the inner ear, of the cochlea, and it has a two and a half times spiral. Just like many other um, things in nature that have that same spiral, you'll see seashells that have that same spiral, mm-hmm. as well as leaves and so forth. So it's, it's a pretty cool thing how our bodies are connected to the rest of the natural world in that way. But that's the inner ear. Um, the bones, one looks like a hammer, one looks like an anvil, and the last one looks like a stirrup. And it's the footplate of that stirrup, just like a stirrup when you're riding a horse. You know, there's a footplate there. It's that footplate that's pushing in on the inner ear and sending the vibrations inside. And then once that nerve sends the sound up to the brain, in our brain, up in the higher levels is where the auditory processing happens. So you could have actually ears that work perfect, an auditory nerve that works perfectly, but if it gets to a part of the brain that's damaged or not properly formed, you might not be able to make sense of that sound and use it. So it is a whole complex system,
0: and and that's what you were dealing with with uh, with uh, in pediatrics. Well, also in with adults, with anybody, right? Because that's just of our um, how our brain is developing and whether we're getting all those connections. and And I assume then that you can have a all of those connections in in the from the auditory n- nerve going well, and then some problems with all those little bones that we just talked about, and and you would have different corrections or different ways of treating all of these things. And is that is that what an audiologist does?
1: That's right. <laughs> but we also do do deal with um, prevention of hearing loss as in protecting your ears from noise. And also there are certain medications that are ototoxic. So that's another issue too.
0: Well, so yeah, so we live in a, a world that is so noisy now. I mean, even if you're doing one thing on your computer, there are ads coming in with big noises. You may be trying to read an article and then you're getting an ad about something that's very loud how do we protect ourselves against well that's just one thing but also out in the world right um, jackhammers and i and a lot of uh, you know using your uh, listening to music on your devices how loud should your amplification be how how do we determine what's what's uh, safe and what's not
1: well that's a good question um, there's a difference between Headphones that are going over your ears and those earbuds that are going inside your ear canal. The earbuds that are going inside your ear canal are getting closer to your eardrum, obviously. And so you can reach a a dangerous uh, level of sound more rapidly than if you're using headphones that are going over the outside of your ear. So, So that is a concern. The other thing with the earbuds is that people tend to turn the volume up louder because nothing is blocking out the background noise. And so, you know, when that's just in the ear canal and there's all that background noise that you just mentioned out in the world, people like to turn the volume up louder in the the earbuds and it's, that's even more dangerous. So actually I recommend if you want to be really safe to use, Headphones rather than earbuds. They're more comfortable, anyway. My opinion. And the ones that go
0: over your that go over your ears your, go over the ears, and they're all different kinds. I mean, you, you were talking about how you're wearing a um, headphone, a noise canceling one that I, I've used them on planes, where it can take the uh, decibels. Isn't that what we're talking about? How loud something is coming in, and and smooth it smooth it out. I, it, and sometimes
1: people want to block out the outside sounds, like when you're on an airplane, for example. You really want the noise-canceling headphones. But if you're just listening to music around the house or whatever, and you still want to be able to hear when your beloved spouse or your children are calling you, you don't want the noise-canceling headphones. You want just regular headphones, and you can get some that are you know, pretty light and uh, not heavy-duty Blocking out all the other sounds, of the world.
0: So, so would, if you said if you're if you're if you take uh, off your earbuds or your headphones and your ears are ringing, would you say you've done damage or you're in the danger zone?
1: I would say that is an indication that you have them up too loud and you're in the danger zone. The damage is not necessarily permanent. Usually, if it's just like a one-time or an occasional exposure to loud noises maybe your ears ring for a little while and then in a few hours things are back to normal um you know back to the hair cells which always are a central part of talking about hearing if you think of those hair cells just like uh grass and you know if you walk the same path over grass the grass lays down, and then a little while later, it pops back up. But if you keep walking that same path after a while, the grass is dead. It's the same thing with the hair cells. The hair cells move in response to the sound, and if it's a very loud sound, they move more, they move faster. They actually move in rhythm to the music if you're listening to, like, say, loud rock music or something. It's kind of fun if you ever get to see a video of the hair cells through an electron microscope or something. But anyway, the more exposure you get to the noise, the more times those hair cells are being thrown around. After a while, they do get damaged. But if, again, if it's just a one-time thing, they'll stand up again and they'll be okay. They're fairly resilient, actually. But, you know, there are guidelines specifically for like occupational noise exposure, how many hours you can be exposed to noise at certain decibels. And I have to say, I'm very pleased to notice in my neighborhood right now, the streets are all torn up. People are out there working with loud equipment. They all are wearing protective earphones, which like 10, 15 years ago, usually you weren't seeing that.
0: No. So there's
1: much more awareness, and I think probably some safeguards that are regulatory in nature that you know demand that the employers provide this ear ear protection and that employees wear it. So, wow. okay,
0: I've just learned some amazing things. First of all, I'm, I I can't get away from the idea that the our our hairs are are pulsing and moving. Uh, in, ter- in time to the uh, music that you're listening to. So if you're listening to Mozart, you know, I'm just having this image of the moving, you know, in one way, you're listening to, uh, you know, I don't know, the roll- Rolling Stones. They're doing something else. That is pretty cool. Thank exactly. You. Thank
1: and you. that movement of the hair cells produces its own little sound. So we used to think that the ears were just passively receiving sound but the ears actually are making sounds. And that's what we we utilize. That sound produced by the movement of the hair cells is what we're utilizing when we screen babies' hearing using a test called otoacoustic emission. So that noise produced by the movement of the hair cells is called an otoacoustic emission. And we're able to measure it now with these very sensitive microphones that are very tiny that will fit into the ear. Your canal of a tiny little baby oh that is amazing that
0: and really- what's amazing
1: for me because I started my career as an audiologist in 1977 and being able to have a reliable and easily administered screening test for infants was just a dream it was a goal it was a dream we had and then like In the course of my career, I saw that coming to fruition, becoming clinically usable, and you know, it's a complete game changer when hearing loss is detected at three months of age rather than at two years of age, at a point where children are already way behind in their speech and language development, and they never catch up. Mm. And now- and now, actually, what happens is that we, we put hearing aids on these babies and they start to get intervention. Actually, by the time you measure what their speech and language skills are when they're, say, going into kindergarten, they're usually above average age level because they've gotten so much input. That's extraordinary so this is like a real super big, exciting thing in the field of pediatric audiology that has happened in the course of my career. And we that, take it for granted now, you know, like it's just routine. Oh, yeah. Newborn babies. They get this screening. They get that screening. They get a hearing screening. You know, this it, was, it was because, you know,
0: if you have just tuned in, I, I want to get back to that. If you've just tuned in, this is Healthy Options. I'm Rhonda Feynman. We're speaking with audiologist Kate Weiss about all of these issues relating to our ears and hearing and learning. And um, we are discussing at the moment um, pediatric intervention. And I want to reiterate. Um, properly this time that Kate was the co-chair of the task force that developed protocols for universal newborn hearing screening, infant hearing assessment, amplification fitting, and parent advocacy for the state of Minnesota's early hearing detection and intervention um, program and was instrumental in making these kinds of things that we're talking about universal. So thank you, Kate that that is um, in, in incredible how um if you find that uh, that um, that that a child really that there is some imbalance or or imp- something is really not working and a child is is deaf and is not hearing how, how would we intervene at that time what do we what do we teach a child then um, to or is it that, that it's not always just all, all hearing is gone or there's degrees of this. How, how do we intervene in that in those circumstances and get brain stimulation?
1: Right. So your question is the difference between say a child who's hard of hearing has partial hearing loss versus a child who's deaf has no hearing or very little hearing. Is that the question? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so yeah, there's a certain point at which, uh, hearing aids are not going to be adequately beneficial to get sound in. And that's when a cochlear implant is is what's recommended. So that's where um, if you're not able to get adequate sound in through acoustic means, this is an electrical stimulation of the auditory nerve that happens through um, a part that's surgically implanted in the ear and connects through a magnet to an external sound processor and microphone that brings the sound in from the world. And this is a very simplified basic explanation of what a cochlear implant does. And further details about that would be beyond the scope of this interview. But anyway, there are different ways to get the sound in. And then as far as language goes, Uh, you know, there's getting, of course, the spoken language amplified either through hearing aids or cochlear implant, as well as providing visual input. So cute speech is a hand shapes that are going in different positions around the face and cheeks that together with the lips give a full visual Um, a full visual input of each phoneme, each sound of speech. It can be used in any language. And then, of course, sign language. Each country has its own sign language. American Sign Language is what's used in the United States, and it's the language that most people in the deaf community utilize. And so really, uh, you want deaf children to become bilingual so that they can understand and utilize spoken English, written English, as well as being able to have a robust visual language through American Sign Language, because that might be the visual input, might be the more natural input. This is so
0: interesting, and it it, that that allows. I mean, the, the, it sounds like we've come quite a long way, as you were saying, since you began your career, in terms of integrating and and helping these kids be successful, to actually be part of of their community and and learn. And, and this is just brilliant. I think
1: it is, and then you know, of course. With children, you're dealing with the whole family. So let's say parents need to learn American Sign Language if they themselves are hearing and have never had any interaction with the deaf community, which is the case about 90% of the time. And so you want them as well as if there's any siblings, you want them to learn um, American Sign Language and you want them to learn it properly preferably from a native speaker. So so deaf adults become part of this family-centered education. And deaf adults will be mentoring these hearing parents in raising their deaf child and learning American Sign Language, as well as then you have hearing people who are trained as deaf, hard of hearing teachers, who will be helping them with Learning written and uh, spoken English, or whatever language it happens to be that they're using. So that's a very family-centered approach for children. And actually, if you want to segue into adults, a family-centered approach with adults is also super important. So in my at the beginning of my career, when I was working with adults, oftentimes older adults. And they would come in for a hearing test and always they would be saying, I'm here because he said I had to or she said I had to. And they point to either their spouse or maybe their son or their daughter or you know some family member who has said, you need to get your hearing tested. And invariably, the person being tested would say, there's nothing wrong with my hearing. They're just mumbling or whatever. They just <laughs> Very consistently. And, you know, it was like right off the bat, first year I was an audiologist, I'm like, oh my goodness, we have to get everybody on the same boat here. And it's so important. So, anybody who's concerned about their hearing, or if some family member said, I'm worried about your hearing, you go to your test with them. If you go for a hearing aid fitting, you bring them with you. To make sure when that hearing aid is fit, that you can hear their voice as well as hearing other voices and you can understand it. I mean, this is probably the person you're interacting with the most and the person who cares the most about your hearing other than yourself. So yeah, the involvement of the whole family is super important. Yes. And that level of denial, you
0: know, I lo- I love the, uh, the uh, the joke of uh, of the man goes to his doctor and says I'm very worried about my wife's hearing, and and he comes in and he says Honey I'm home, what's for dinner, and he gets closer because oh, she's just not hearing me. Gets closer and then Honey I'm home what's for dinner and then gets closer and this goes on a, a few times until they're right at the stove in the kitchen and then she says for the fifth time chicken. <laughs> right, right right <laughs> for the fifth time I'm, she, I'm just so worried about her hearing it's like it's terrible anyway so what is this about denial what is this about the resistance of of taking care or believing it what 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 why in, in your career what have you seen that shift or is there still that sense of of denial there's two,
1: or? yeah there's two things One is I think none of us want to show our vulnerabilities. And as we age, there's just a reality. We start to have vision problems. We might have walking balance problems. We might have hearing problems. You know, our memory might not be so great. And we want to stay strong and vibrant. And we want to appear strong and vibrant. So I think this is just a real natural thing. But the other piece, so that has never changed. And I don't think that ever will. That's just a natural human condition. But what has changed is that there used to be quite a bit of embarrassment about, well, I don't want to wear a hearing aid. You know, then people will see that and think there's something wrong with me. But now with people walking around with their cell phones and their big Bluetooth things hanging off their ears, it's like nothing, like no big deal. The hearing aid's really tiny compared to the Bluetooth stuff. And people are so like technology savvy. And the fact that your hearing aids now can operate with Bluetooth and you can listen to your music through your your phone directly to your Wireless hearing aids, you know, it's just like having earbuds in, except they're hearing aids. So that stigma is completely gone. And in fact, people like middle aged people who have hearing loss are really fascinated and interested, and they want the best technology and they want the best sound. So, like, there's a certain amount of enthusiasm for it. At the same time, they're really shocked that it's so expensive because hey, you know, I can get a really great pair of earphones for $200, $300 for the top of the line. Why can't I get a hearing aid for that?
0: Well, of course, now um, with the new law, where that went into effect. What was it? Uh, the, in 2022, you can buy hearing aids um, over the counter. What And and I was reading, as a matter of fact, there's a whole article in Consumer Reports from May uh, 2023. May June 2023 and it talks all about them and it's it gives you a whole idea of of the different kinds of things you can get and and, and then of course it raises the question what when do you want to do that and when do you absolutely have to go to your you know your professional and it seems what the the bottom line is that for the most part you should always get your hearing test and see what's going on and understand what's happening. At least that's according to this and we can, we can talk about it, but what have you noticed? I know you're not in clinical practice directly these days, but have you noticed changes or what's, what's the thinking about that in the, uh, in the community of, of, of the -the
1: over-the-counter versus uh,
0: a not. Right. So the
1: -the over-the-counter hearing aids are designed predominantly for mild to moderate high frequency hearing losses, which is the most common hearing loss that people get, uh, you know, acquire with aging or from some noise exposure, possibly occupational or whatever. And if you think about like reader glasses in the drugstore, which are for very limited problem, right? Or if you're farsighted and if both, eyes are pretty equal, you get the readers, you don't need to get a prescription and pay a lot of money. But if you've got a more complex vision problem, if one eye is very different from the other, you can't just get those drugstore things, you need to go to an optometrist and get your eyes examined and get prescription glasses and get a higher quality of lenses. So same thing with these over-the-counter hearing aids because of the improvement in digital electronics that we've had over the last you know say 10 years the quality of them is it's decent it's very decent but it's for a very certain market so if you have more than a mild to moderate high frequency hearing loss you need uh two things you need a more specifically programmed to your hearing loss type of prescription and you need more involved professional consultation (laughs) with an audiologist. So the starting point in some of the -the over-the-counter hearing aids, many of them I think, have Something where you can call on the phone and get your hearing tested by a robot or whatever. I completely recommend against that. although most hearing in, most insurance does not cover hearing aids, including unfortunately, Medicare, mm. it does cover a professional hearing evaluation by an audiologist. Oh, that's good. If the audiologist accepts Medicare or your insurance or whatever, you can get a complete professional hearing evaluation. And that is the starting point that I would recommend. And the audiologist will tell you. I mean, because honestly, audiologists don't make their money selling hearing aids. Whatever they are charging you for the hearing aid and then their professional services just basically covers their costs of getting the hearing aids from the manufacturer and all the shipping, et cetera, et cetera, and the cost of doing business. So really the money is made from the professional services. So that's really what you're paying for when you pay the audiologist for their professional expertise. And so when you get a hearing aid through an audiologist... You will go back, they will program it, they will reprogram it, they will fine-tune it for your needs, and they have a world of knowledge and will help you with getting adjusted to it and all of that. You don't get that in the box Right. from the over-the-counter hearing aid. And if you just have a mild to moderate hearing loss, you probably are able with whatever their tech support is to just adjust it. And if it's a high-quality product, you can probably get it adjusted and get their tech support, and it'll all be great. But it helps a lot if you have an accurate starting point and really truly know what your hearing loss is. Right, Not done by a robot over the phone. I can't recommend strongly enough against that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is, okay, if you just tuned in, this is the Healthy Options Program on WERU Community Radio. I'm Rhonda Feynman, and we're speaking with Kate Weiss, a, pedi- uh, a formerly uh, retired pediatric audiologist, but um, who has continued to be a independent consultant and has uh, a lot of expertise teaching us how to protect our hearing and what to do if we have hearing loss. So I want to go back to, uh, to what we're talking about with um, the audiologist uh, versus the um, over the counter. And one of the things that was differentiated in this article, which I, you know, is is really out in the world now, is that there are some that you can set and those are more expensive. They still can be in the thousands. You know, that the, the good ones are still a, a couple of thousand dollars. So where if you're tech savvy enough, you might be able to adjust it. But if you're not, you know, that you might not have it set right. And then they they were talking that those have a lot of um, federal uh, FDA approval and they have regulations so that you're not getting things too loud. This is what that article was talking about. But then there are the preset ones, which you have very limited choice about how to fix. And those aren't as regulated. So you could possibly not be fixing what needs to be fixed in order for you to really hear as well as you as well as you can I I I wanted to make that distinction and maybe you could also if you have more to say because I I know you have no opinion about this at all Kate um so thank you thank
1: you thank you for making that very important distinction Rhonda because that is that is absolutely true that uh you know, basically it's like anything else. You get what you pay for. And so, yeah. if And sometimes a less expensive set of hearing aids that is preset, and they do preset it to levels that are known to not cause more noise-induced hearing loss for, you know, the general population. That being said, Those guidelines come from trials done with many, many different people and coming up with an average. And so there's quite a bit of individual variation. Some people are more sensitive and can get damage to their hearing at a lower level than the average person, which again, if you are tested by an audiologist, they look at that um, in determining how to... program the hearing aids. So we do look at what are the what are the levels of discomfort and also the person's whole family history and medical history. And that also can be illuminating as to whether this person may have more or less of a tendency to acquire more hearing loss from noise exposure. So, so oh. there are certain genetic factors that that would predispose a person to being a little One of those more sensitive individuals, so you know, hearing aid out of the box may be fine for the average person, and if you are not the average person, it may not be fine for you.
0: Right. So you'll you'll know hopefully know pretty quickly. I want to go back to to two things that you said that that struck me as so interesting. First off, that you can actually tell about sensitivity when you get a hearing test. From a a professional, they can really see. You you know, you can measure that kind of thing. I I had a very interesting experience. Um, Now that I'm talking to a professional audiologist, I'll just, you know, mention it on the air. (laughs) I was walking down the street, and a woman looked up from her phone and was looking for her daughter and yelled, and my ear was right there. I could not even believe it, and for quite a little bit, my ear hurt. I was like I cannot believe that that happened. She didn't know that you know she wasn't doing mm-hmm. that intentionally but it was like wow am I one of those I mean I know I'm sensitive about hearing but that was really interesting to me that when we talk about loudness in the world I think about loud music I think about the all the things we talked about mowing and leaf blowers and you know right. big machines next to you Wind turbines, you know, that's a big deal. Um, but wow, I walk down the street and I'm going, uh, it, do I do I have to get checked out now because this woman yelled, you know, you know, Lorraine or something in my ear?
1: <laughs> right. Well, I would say that that is an indication that you probably are one of those more sensitive individuals because most of us won't get ringing and pain in our ears just from somebody. Yelling. I mean, obviously, if somebody yells right into your ear, yeah. But if they're just yelling for their kid somewhere in your vicinity, usually it won't cause that large of a reaction. So, yeah, I'd say hmm. you are probably one of those more sensitive people. Hmm. Oh, okay, all right, <laughs> all right, everyone. Who are we're
0: going to start the the support group, the sensitive hearing support group?
1: <laughs> Maybe that's why. You are into music and radio and all these sound-related things because you have you a high sensitivity for it. Well, there you go. And we, this
0: would be interesting. Have you noticed different mu- musicians have different? If uh, you know, has there been any research about this? What do do musicians hear differently? Linguists hear differently than people who aren't.
1: Right, and that gets oh. into the auditory processing part of our brains
0: yes just was. like
1: artists visual artists who you know their their visual perception is much more astute than you know the average person and Which- say deaf people oftentimes will the use of peripheral vision the the notice noticing a tiny little movement or a slight change of expression in somebody's face these things that again your average hearing person doesn't pay attention to but a deaf person for whom the visual sense is more keen will notice that and there has been research showing actual changes in the brain where the part of the brain that processes vision is more highly developed, and the part that processes auditory information is less developed.
0: So this brings me to, to this sense of, um, we we talk about cognition, and that sometimes when there's hearing loss, or often, not just sometimes, that one can get isolated, and one can brain function, it's at, at sort of like use it or lose it kind of thing, will become mm-hmm you know, can make you affect the nervous system and affect your emotions. Um, how, um, so would you notice, would those be some of the things, perhaps you could talk about some warning signs other than my whole family's mumbling, <laughs> right? Um, that, that you would look for um, mm-hmm. in yourself if you've noticed yeah. something.
1: Uh, probably a little more irritability, can be related to anxiety because not being sure what people are saying. It's frustrating. So, yeah, there is the kind of like guesswork, 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 exhaustion. You know, by the end of the day, exhaustion, which is why trying to socialize in a group becomes too tiring, you know, and people start to pull back from that. And or just give up. You know, it just sounds like a bunch of mumbo-jumbo, blah, 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 blah. Rhonda, blah, blah, blah. You know, that cartoon <laughs> with the dog That's where the a, people are talking. <laughs> okay. I, yeah. I, I believe it was
0: uh, Charlie Brown, all the adults in the, in Peanuts, you know, they were all blah, yes. blah, blahs. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's that, like, if you notice, hey, I don't like to be around groups of people anymore. And I used to love to be in a party, you know, or yeah, I'm just so edgy. I guess like, you know, just leave me alone.
0: (laughs) Misunderstanding things or not sure what you're hearing. Of course, I I will tell uh, the story of my, uh, of someone I knew who uh, was, she and her spouse were meeting a friend on the street, hadn't seen them in ages. And my friend is going, yeah, that's great. That's terrific. And and then they all walked and they're looking at her a little strangely and they walk away and her spouse says, why were you saying that? And she said, well, well, she said she got a horse. I was, that's great. I didn't know she was a horse woman. This is fantastic. Divorce. She got a divorce. <laughs> and she's going, that's great. Really good for you. <laughs> <laughs> the we call it in our house the horse divorce moment. When you have a right. horse divorce moment, it's time for sure to get your hearing
1: right. your hearing tested. And it Although was well like- sometimes, sometimes the divorce is a good thing. It depends well- on the situation. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. But I think in that case, it was maybe a bit of a faux pas. <laughs>
1: right. right. So, Probably was. It would be way more fun to get a horse than a divorce, in my opinion. Right. So I
0: think she did go and get some uh, hearing tests after that. and uh, Right. And maybe and, even and some, got some hearing aids. No question. Now, uh, what do hearing aids do? They're, it's more than just amplification, isn't it? And because we wanted to talk... Amplification just sounds like it's making things louder. That's not necessarily what
1: well it does make things louder but not like everything louder because this is where the fine-tuning part comes in where you want a knowledgeable professional helping you because it's fine-tuned so if, if your hearing is okay for some sounds and not for others you don't need amplification in that frequency region where your hearing is good in fact you don't want it there so there has to be filters there has to be A way to fine tune it to certain frequency ranges then also there are methods of tuning out the sounds that are just like background noise or mechanical sounds that you don't really like to hear such as the air conditioner or the humming of the refrigerator or the noise of uh you know your printer or whatever those sorts of sounds so there's filters to filter out that kind of stuff. Actually, sometimes people wearing hearing aids are more comfortable in a noisy environment than people not wearing hearing aids because their hearing aids are filtering out all the noise that's unpleasant. So yeah, and of course, with, with digital electronics being as, as advanced as they are, hearing aids today are able to do so much more as far as manipulating the sound and making it sound more natural than hearing AIDS, even as recently as five years ago. I mean, it's just so much more, you know, there's ways to make the wind noise not be annoying or somebody drops a pot on the floor, you know, so that that doesn't like, blah, terrible clatter and hurt your ears. There are microphones that can adapt to where they search out where the speech sound is coming from, and they will turn and in the direction of that sound. So if somebody's talking behind you, you can hear them. Or if you're in a car and they're next to you, you don't want to be hearing the wind coming in from the window, but you want to hear the person sitting next to you when you're driving. So the the adaptive directional mic will turn towards that person speaking really in, the, in your hearing automatic automatically searching out these sounds without you having to push buttons and adjust it and all that that's easy. So, yeah so yeah so i mean there's a lot that hearing aids will do now that they didn't i already mentioned before the bluetooth connection and being right. able to hear your music like in earbuds and so
0: yeah and so so a very part of, of of also some sort of hearing deficit is you can't get spatially oriented, right? Where Where is the sound coming from? So these hearing aids can help you orient so you can hear a car when you're trying to cross the street or you know, right. hear someone
1: walking behind you. On right. A- you need your two ears working together. So that's one thing. If you have hearing loss in both ears, you get two hearing aids, binaural hearing aids, because that's how we're meant to hear. You don't get just one or you're just be out of balance. Um, Sometimes people think, well, that's a way I can save money. I'll just get one hearing aid. But then you're just trading one problem for another. So you need your two ears working together to figure out where sound's coming from, be able to localize that. Also, your two ears working together are going to suppress the background noise that you don't want and hone in on what you do want to listen to. So that figure ground thing is also a product of binaural hearing.
0: And and that's what our hearing does so we can really focus. We can focus a little bit better. Mhm. That's and and what if people lose hearing in one ear? How do you how do they deal with that?
1: Well, if you just use lose hearing in one ear, then you then you do just get one hearing aid to bring that ear up to the same level as the other one.
0: But, but that's special. And then you would also have things balanced and, and, and adjusted in a particular way. Yeah. And if you are just tuning in, by the way, um, I'm Rhonda Feynman. This is Healthy Options on WERU Community Radio. We're speaking with audiologist Kate Weiss about important issues related to our hearing had, and had to manage hearing loss and protect our our hearing as well. so so okay, so you would do that do the balancing now, are you are you finding that generationally that there are different uh, frequencies that um, that that are are more uh, comfortable for some? is there I mean, would you say the uh, kids growing up now, you know, those kids growing up now, (laughs) are they they used to more input in a way that an older generation may not be? Are they wanting to get something in the high end or the mid-range, you know, and I know maybe someone older needs a mid-range adjustment. Have you noticed, or is that something in discussion about how to adjust a hearing aid for people? Is that, or is Um, that off base totally? (laughs)
1: Yeah. Maybe off base. Totally. Um, That's good. Yeah. Great. I don't know. That, that, that isn't really a great answer for you, but uh, (laughs) no, I am not. I don't think there's any generational difference in terms of, of preference for how the sound is. I mean, the reality is that in the mid range is where most of the speech sounds are. And so if you're trying to like understand the words in a song, you want you want to have a lot of input in those mid frequencies and the higher frequencies. If you're wanting to just a good beat to dance to it and you don't care about the words, then maybe you want your bass boost up. But if you turn up your bass boost, you are not going to be able to understand the words, even if you have normal hearing. It just, you know, it's going to mask out those softer high-frequency sounds of the words that make the words crisp and clear. So you need to be able to hear those consonants, turn down your bass boost, turn up your your treble and your mid-range. That's my advice. Boost, boost the mids, as we used to say in, uh, in yeah, audio yeah, just, engineering. Right, just the mids.
0: Right, <laughs> get that right. And then, of course, there are entire musical genres that are really all about the bass so exactly
1: so if you want your sternum to be vibrating turn up the bass
0: (laughs) that's exactly right (laughs) are different frequencies more damaging or beneficial you know i don't or does it just have to do with the decibels with the volume and it doesn't matter what the whether it's lows or highs
1: Mm. well that's a little bit of a complicated question uh the The loudness, how many decibels the sound is, is probably the most important thing. That being said, um, remember we were talking earlier about the coiled snail shell of the cochlea? Yes. Okay, well, those hair cells are arranged in that coil in a way that the ones that, that are at the beginning of the coil, that the sound is hitting first, are the hair cells that respond to high frequencies. And the, the ones that respond to the low frequencies are further in. So of course those hair cells that respond to the high frequency sounds get hit the most, right? As those loud sounds are coming in and that's why your noise induced hearing loss starts in the high frequencies. And so, earplugs. If you're wearing, like, say, those spongy, compressible earplugs to try to block out loud noise, they reduce the sound more in the high frequencies than in the lows. So,
0: do you recommend? For protective reasons. Yeah, that's. Do you recommend? They're designed that okay. way on purpose. And you can get you can get earplugs that are that
1: fit you. I mean those are the you can get you can get custom fit earplugs that are made by taking an impression of your ear and then yeah custom fitting it to you and they can have different filters in so when you see musicians wearing earplugs those are generally custom fit they have filters to allow like speech to come through but will block some of the you know the louder uh sounds and Specific frequencies that might be coming through amplified music and potentially damaging hearing. Hmm. So those are yeah, of course the uh, more sophisticated oh, earplugs. Yeah, right. But the but these com- ones. the foam ones are great if you just like want to wear them when you're cutting the grass or using a vacuum cleaner or a leaf blower or any of those sorts of things go, because go they're going to block out the sounds. That are most damaging and they're good. And concerts, I mean, depending. Yeah, or just, yeah. You're gen- I mean, actually nowadays when you go to a concert where it's going to be loud, a lot of times they have free earplugs right there at the entrance. Finally. Yeah, yes. finally. Finally. The yes. world's changing.
0: Wow and I'm also remembering there was a study getting back to the uh the the noises around us where they created um jackhammers that were silent and and those really? days, that would yeah. be awesome yeah but but the, the, this was years ago. I wonder if they did this now uh, i mean like 30, 25 years ago, and then the people using them, probably usually guys in in those days um they said, oh these these aren't as strong, these aren't working as well." <laughs> Cause there was no noise. Right. And, yeah. So interesting about our human perception, yeah. you know, more is better. Yes. And that is powerful. It's just not going to be powerful without that good song, uh, sound going, uh, yeah. going along with it. But now, as you're saying, it's amazing. It is really good that people are wearing a uh, protective, uh, uh, ear, ear um, coverings to, uh, to do that kind of protection. So, when um when when you finally get um when you finally get a uh, hearing aid and you want you you can get those fine tuned as you were saying to really see what is individually needed for right. for you i just want to emphasize that because it's so it's so interesting to um to realize that each individual would lose um, we'll just have different needs, just different needs and preferences, as we were saying before, right? Even if, you know, I just would, it just feels more comfortable to have X, Y, and Z boosted. Would you please work with that with me? Is that possible?
1: Yeah. Yes, that is possible.
0: Okay. (laughs) Good. We only have a couple of minutes left and, um, I I just want to I just uh, say is there what what have we forgotten in the, in the last minute anything that we should be uh be uh adding we're going to have some uh we'll we'll have some uh information that we'll have linked when the when the show gets archived so we'll be able to uh to share some of this information with people
1: um what I else think that that consumer report article you were talking about sounds like it's excellent so yeah that, that sounds like something people should take a look at if they're considering getting over-the-counter hearing aids. Yeah. I haven't seen it myself, so I'm dying to, to read it.
0: Awesome. And also to be noticing on their smartphones, you can really deal with the decibels. So perhaps we could just have a parting uh, idea of, of perhaps keep it a little lower than you might have. Uh, And are there apps that you can, you can organize things on your phone that could be helpful as well, just as a last minute piece of advice.
1: Right. So I offhand don't know of an app. If you, if you have a hearing aid, there are, you have an app that goes with your hearing aid from the hearing aid manufacturer, which you can adjust your hearing aid with. But for people who don't have hearing aids, I'm sure there are apps and I'm sorry, I don't know what they are. Mm-hmm. So so there, you're out getting outside of my no that's okay area no, of expertise here
0: <laughs> it's, no you're fine and I was just thinking an app to measure the decibels is something you
1: could probably oh the sound level meter the app yeah, you I have, okay. actually I have that on my phone. <laughs> so there you go okay. I didn't know that's what you were talking I about I know I, I didn't you were not... talking about something else no it's, yes, okay. so it's called I got a it. it's called a sound level meter get
0: it okay we're yeah, gonna leave it right you, there I can't yeah. believe it all right there you go. Our guest on Healthy Options today. It's so glad we, we got that resolved before the end of the show. Our guest on Healthy Options today has been audiologist Kate Weiss. Thank you so much for being with us on Healthy Options. You can find the link to this show and to other information that was mentioned in the Healthy Options archives at WERU.org. Thanks to Joel Mann and Amy Brown of WERU for engineering support and to Petra Hall for production assistance. And as always, thanks to all of our WERU listeners and support. This is Rhonda Feynman wishing you the best in health.